Welcome to the Hollywood to Hollywood podcast with your hosts, Emma and Jake D'Souza. Hello. We are back after taking a little bit of a break, but we have been storing up our thoughts on a very exciting subject for this podcast special, which is, of course, a United Ireland. (laughs) So join us as we discuss some of the political discussions that are happening across the island at the moment and what we think might be happening in the future. First off, we recently watched the Claire Bryan show, which is RTE's on a primetime slot, and they had a debate around what a United Ireland might look like. Now, the fact that this happened in itself is, I think, testament to the fact that this conversation is becoming mainstreamed. Here we had political leaders from across the island in agreement that the the conversation around constitutional change is real and that in the next decade or so, we could very much be looking like we're in the midst of a new constitutional um, situation here. So on Monday, we watched the Claire Bryan Show special along with many other people. Jake, your thoughts on that debate? I know you weren't too keen at the prospect of watching a political program on Monday night, but you quickly changed your mind. Yeah, yeah. You you knew better than me what I would want to watch. I like just wanted to watch trash TV, but uh, I enjoyed watching it quite a bit. I was yelling at the television a lot. Yes, there was lots of yelling, pausing. The program was about an hour long, but it turns out we watched it over the space of two and a half hours because we kept (laughs) pausing so much and then rewinding and then rewatching and then debating with each other about what this person and that person was saying. And really, it was way too much fun than it should have been for Uh any normal person. Definitely. But yeah, my thoughts on it were Joe Brawley got completely (laughs) fucked over. (laughs) I don't know who he is, uh, so you can call me ignorant for that, but I looked into him a bit. It looks like he's a bit of a polarizing figure in that he's quite vocal about certain things. Uh, I saw someone explain to me that people tend not to like him because he, you know, talks a lot about northern issues. Well, he's from Derry, isn't he? So I think he's allowed to talk a bit about northern issues. Uh, Everyone's from Derry. Just saying, like, everybody is from Derry. Yeah. Also from Derry. Colin Harvey, also from Derry. Mm-hmm. John Hume was from Derry. I mean, there's a list of length of your arm of people from Derry. If there's anything going on, especially if it's contentious, uh-huh. you can probably trace it back to someone from Derry. Yeah. I mean, even look into the Stephen King universe. Everyone's <gasps> from Derry. I mean, a different Derry, but Derry nonetheless. But yeah, uh, I thought Brian handled that so fucking poorly. I didn't, I never heard of her before, and I'm happy to never have to watch anything with her again because I know she does not make any uh, secret of her bias and uh, her overwhelming conservatism was palpable. I couldn't handle it. But what we did also notice, has to be said, is that there was a lot of crossover and common ground between Mary Lou McDonald and Leo Varadkar. Yeah, like I feel like they were just on different uh, chapters of the same book. They have a lot of the same ideas, but just a different approach to them. They don't seem that dissimilar. And the end goal is the same for both of them. Absolutely. But this is the thing about politics, of course, even if they do have the same end goal, they're going to want to try and create a difference between them and their political rivals because it's all about getting those votes and getting Mm -hmm. those seats. Politicians going to (laughs) politic. But there was surprisingly a lot of common ground here. And I think that's really encouraging. It was great to see that there is an understanding that the tectonic plates have shifted and there has to be a political response to that. Mm -hmm. My takeaway from it was that 
that was a great starting point. And now we need more spaces for more dialogue because I can feel it. You know, in any of these events that I even do where people have an opportunity to discuss these subjects, they're like, okay, great. Well, where are we going to talk next? Because there is just this real hunger at the moment to have these discussions, these debates, this dialogue about, well, what does the future mean? Like, what's going to happen? What's it going to look like? And there's some really big questions here that are going to have to be addressed. Of course, things like the health service, education, pensions, welfare. I mean, these are all incredibly boring, but essential (laughs) proponents to, you know, life and living in a society. And then, of course, there's cultural issues as well. Um, We saw at that program that the um, possibility of changing national symbols and the flag was raised. Mm -hmm. I know that you're all for the flag staying as it is. And I, however, am a little more open to the flag being changed. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like where you come from is more just an excitement at the prospect of something new. Uh, you love the tricolor. You love your country. You're, you know, you're, you're Irish. Then that is not going to change. But uh, I guess what I think is a really admirable quality uh, that you have is that you're really excited about um, how to include everybody and how to uh, not not overwrite what's already there, but to bring something new alongside of it. People will still fly the tricolor, I'm sure, but how lovely would it be if we had something that everyone could feel, you know, across the whole island like they have an attachment to that doesn't, for them, hold any sort of a connotation? Like, I'll never see a connotation to the flag, but I know full well I'm I'm an American. I have no skin in the game here. I I, I do not speak for a ton of people here. But... You know, you're right to say that for some people there is a historical connotation with flags. I mean, flags in in many places can be contentious. They're contentious in America even. You know, the flag gets taken and used by right-wing groups who are claiming to be true patriots. And, Uh uh, you know, so... Yeah, uh, so flags can be quite a contentious issue, but Jesus, they are contentious in Northern Ireland. (laughs) And I mean, the idea of us um, having a debate about flags, now that I think about it, a debate about flags, oh, Jesus. But um, there is something very exciting about that, about having an input into creating something that is going to symbolize and represent a new Ireland. Because let's be real, it would be new. It would have to be new because there's whole rake of people in the north whose culture and traditions do have to be accounted for there just there has to be space created but not only for them but there has to be space created for all of the people in ireland north and south who are from somewhere else yeah you know like there's loads of people who have made ireland home but they don't have any representation they don't have any say they don't have any input but this is their home and they love it and loads of people who naturalize and become irish citizens such as yourself hopefully very soon jake um and i think that there's opportunity in creating this new concept of ireland that does include some of those voices in a more meaningful way totally i'd be interested to know i mean there's a lot of people that are really into the like study of flags. And I would actually be interested to know what those kind of people would think about something like this. I don't know how often there are modern day mergings of two, uh, you know, previously war-torn countries, you know, into one thing. I think that's a, it's a really cool conversation to open up. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it brings me, brings me back to a point of, well, what would a new flag look like? And I've seen some people discussing this and the idea of maybe having like a darker green flag with the harp on it. 
I mean, I'm open to any suggestions brought forward. And that's what's so exciting about it is the idea of having any input into your national symbol. Most of us never, ever, ever get an opportunity to decide that or have any say in our national symbols. So we're pretty cool to be able to have any input into that regardless of, of what it turns out to be. This reminds me about flags. Flags are back in the news this week. Um, in the news because uh, Britain has decided to change its flag flying policy to bring the British flag flown back on government buildings seven days a week, every day of the year. (sighs) And of course, they have decided to bring this policy in in England, Scotland and Wales and not Northern Ireland because of the fact that flags are a sensitive issue in Northern Ireland and delicate, which is what the government actually said which is strange to think of them actually taking into account the sensitivities of Northern Ireland. But there Mm. you go. Miracles do happen. And of course, now we have the DUP calling for the flag flying to be the same here in Northern Ireland because the British flag needs to be flown every single day (laughs) of the week because this is Britain, lads. And we must, we would obviously, we wouldn't understand that Northern Ireland is still part of the United Kingdom if it weren't for these flags flying Mm. all the time. Mm Um, of course, there's going to be a big pushback against that because we don't need more flags flying. Honestly, we need less flags. This is a shared space. <clears throat> Fewer flags. We watched too much uh, Game of Thrones. That was one of our favorite favorite bits. Now, every time uh, Emma or anybody else says uh, uh, less of something, I, I like head. to be daddy I'm time. My head. I'm getting scolded. Um, yeah, so it brings up a debate that, honestly, we lived through like a decade, what felt like an eternity of uh, debate and discourse around flags. And I really feel like with this being a shared space that the flag um, has to be considered in a way that is respectful of both sides of the community. And it's just very difficult uh, to sometimes take the hypocrisy in the DUP claiming that we must be like the rest of the United Kingdom when it comes to flags, but we certainly couldn't be like the rest of the United Kingdom when it comes to, you know, women's rights to access abortion services. Of course not. God forbid. (laughs) It's so hard. Yeah. Lots Uh. of cherry picking. Uh, But I guess we'll recall a little bit of what's happening in politics. It's been moving very fast recently. So we talked about the program in RTE, but a lot of these debates and discussions around the possibility of constitutional change, they're becoming pretty regular. Um, We saw that Jim O'Callaghan, who is a TD for Fianna Foyle, uh, has re- he did a um a pretty big speech uh, at Cambridge about what for him a United Ireland would look like, and he's got a brand new website and has been doing lots of work around his profile, building on this concept of a United Ireland per his vision, and that's pretty notable. On top of that, we also saw another Fianna Fáil TD has suggested that there should be a minister for a United Ireland whose portfolio is about looking at, well, how will reunification work? What's going to happen? All the nitty gritty stuff. And I think that's a really good idea. The SDLP has backed that call for a minister. That is their sole purpose. Their portfolio is this concept of United Ireland. These things all happened in the past week. So it's very hard to say that we're not on the path to a border pool because it's just, it's all around us right now. It's being talked about on our you know, our radios and our TVs and our communities and in Parliament and (laughs) and in our homes and our communities. And it is becoming very much mainstream. 
So I guess, shall we talk about what we think a United Ireland might look like? I think that is a good place to start. Well, some have suggested that perhaps there should be some kind of power sharing or that, you know, not all power should go to Dublin, that it should remain Dublin and Belfast for a period of time. What do you think about that, Jake? Well, I feel like in terms of just population and as far as cities go, aren't uh, Dublin and Belfast the two largest cities in uh, in, I don't know, Cork's pretty big. Well, I guess it would be nice, of course, if there was some sort of a, uh, a a central hub for politics in the North specifically as well. But I mean, I'm not married to that. Whatever serves the, the country best the, in the theoretical uh, union. Uh, I'm sure there would be a lot of people who identify as unionists or people who just identify as Northern Irish uh, that would appreciate having their home, you know, representing some aspect of you know, future political stuff. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm not really married to which way a majority of people want. <laughs> if you hear dog sniffing, that's my dog shadow sniffing my hair right now. Um, I'm not really married to where politics has to stay, whether or not it should all be in Dublin or if we should have the Shannon in the north or some kind of... Um, you know, like a period where a period transition where power is slowly transitioned to Dublin. I mean, having all of the political space centralized into Dublin isn't benefiting Ireland, never mind the North and South. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you are, I'm sure you will hear a lot of muffled sounds right now. There is a dog in between the microphone and my wife, so... Okay, he's okay. lying down. All now. right. He's now positioned himself squarely on my lap, and I will continue. Just for the record, he's not a lap dog, so I, I'm sure you're more than a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm not married to either of these ideas. I think that there is um, a benefit to the idea of decentralizing the government a little bit. Having it all focused in Dublin isn't benefiting the people of Ireland, never mind if they were to incorporate north and south. So I think there's a good argument to be had over trying to find some sort of way where maybe the Shannon does sit in the north, you know, um, and trying to find a way also then to expand uh, outside of this Dublin-centric um, mentality. I mean, certainly since we recently moved to County Fermanagh, which is to the west, we have discovered that the whole northwest of this island is completely abandoned. I mean, there's just... There's no transport. There's no connectivity. Like, it's beautiful, but man, does it feel like this area has been forgotten and we just moved here recently. Yep. So that really needs to be rectified. And I think that's an exciting prospect too in the idea of reunifying the island of Ireland. Can we reinvigorate maybe connecting the whole island? That would be a good start. Um, more than like government stuff, I'm actually worried about uh, the like... How, how would policing work? Because in the north, I, I from what I've seen, the uh, the the PSNI is woefully inept, and there's an obvious bias that I've seen uh, that I wouldn't want to see that being perpetuated in a United Ireland. And I'd hope that uh, the Gardaí would be obviously taking a front seat to what's going on up here, uh, and. How would that be approached? Because, I mean, this place would be prone to be another another battleground again. Uh, Don't and, say that. 
Why? I'm so hopeful that it's I, just going th- to be, look, you know, I believe in the democratic process. I believe that when the time comes and there is a border pool, I do think it's going to be a yes. And I think it's going to be much higher than people expect it to be. And I think that the concept and idea that there's going to be some sort of violence and bloodshed and we're all going to go back to the 1970s overnight is not going to but happen. But I think there will be something. I feel like dumb, angry people, even though there's going to be not a lot of them, Enough of them can cause a problem. I mean, we see it all the time in the U.S. It just takes one person to cause something really, really horrible. And how shit the PSNI is and how obviously biased they are and how uh, completely... I'm just, just going to interject and say that I'm, I, I would like to also acknowledge that there are plenty of very lovely respectful and not biased yeah, members. There of the are just like well. in the States, there are great cops, but there are enough bad apples. Everybody talks about that. It really fucks the whole thing. You know, like, I'm sorry. There, there are a lot of shitty cops around the world. This is not just a problem in the U S this is not just a problem in Northern Ireland, but it is a problem in Northern Ireland. It cannot be avoided. And, uh, I know there were changes that were implemented over time to try to increase uh, a more balanced uh, d- a demographic throughout the, you know, p- uh, police in Northern Ireland. But uh, it obviously isn't enough, just evidenced by the tactics used against certain uh, groups in the communities and uh, th- the lack thereof action towards other groups within the communities. The fact that we still uh, see these fucking bonfires every year, uh, it's barbarism. And uh, I I can't stand seeing people burning effigies of other people and writing language like basically kill all Irish. I'm sorry. Why is that happening in 2021 in uh, a civilized Western society? It it wouldn't happen anywhere else. And it really upsets me that basically that the uh, the solution is to hose down the buildings, not hose down the fire. Yeah. I mean, I guess for us in Northern Ireland, it's become so normalized and really um, it takes leaving Northern Ireland, but it also takes, you know, being with someone like yourself who isn't from here to really, truly understand just how crazy it is that this stuff is normalized, that it does happen on an annual basis, that it's allowed to happen. And certainly last year, I noticed myself that um, there was just no media reporting of it. You know, like it's not reported that Irish flags are getting burned, that, you know, this is a shared space and, you know, half the population have to endure every year seeing what is um, you know, an act of hatred. And um, I certainly hope that uh, that's something that will not exist in the future reconciliation of this land. When it comes to the peace, uh, the police force, um, I think that um, Jim O'Callaghan suggested the PSNI would remain, but of course there would be some sort of, um, you know, cor- I, don't, I can't remember exactly what he was saying about it. He would say that the, the police force would remain, but of course they'd be working with the guards. In terms of what I believe should happen with the police force, you know, they would have to work together because, you know, there would be, um, would be one island. Um, but maybe looking at regional uh, police forces, not just the PSNI and the guards, but, you know, maybe having it more regional cro- across the island is not necessarily a bad thing. There's plenty of framework in other countries where that does work quite successfully. So I think it would have to, you know, be overhauled and it would have to be reimagined. But it could be reimagined in a way that is far better than it is now, not just in the north, but also in the south too, because, you know, the guard's not perfect. No. There's problems in, Everywhere. in all sides. In most police forces, there are going to be problems. Unbridled power just usually leads to uh, issues. 
So I guess another aspect of um, the possibility of reunification is going to be a new constitution. Jim O'Callaghan did say in his piece that there should be an entirely new constitution, and I would agree. There would have to be a new constitution. I mean, that just makes sense. But it's also... It would be constitution, like the number two, because it's the second one. Constitution 2.0. I see what you're doing there. Very good. I apologize. It's also worth noting, of course, that the Good Friday Agreement does not end in the event of reunification of this island. It is an international peace treaty registered to the UN that does continue even in the event of the reunification of this island. And that includes, of course, the fact that the people of Northern Ireland can be Irish or British or both. However... Legislation in UK citizenship law has not been updated to reflect this change. Despite the fact that we got changes to immigration law, we haven't yet got the meaningful changes to citizenship legislation. I stress not yet. Still mm, working on it. That's right. Um, in So in that uh, eventuality at the moment, there is a bit of vulnerability there to those who would want to maintain their right to have British citizenship. Of course, anyone that already is a British citizen, they're not going to lose their citizenship overnight. They're still going to be British citizens and their children, even if born in a United Ireland outside of the United Kingdom, would also have access to British citizenship. However, it would be after those generations that it would then become a little bit more vulnerable under current UK legislation, which is why it's important to get uh, the right to be accepted as Irish or British or both into domestic UK law because it protects not only those of us who are Irish now, but it protects those who are British and want to remain so in the event of the reunification of this island. It's worth noting that the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee is currently doing a investigation into citizenship in Northern Ireland, a sort of um, follow-on from her case. And I think this is great because it's an opportunity for the government to get ahead of further litigation because, let's be real, if they don't address this gap in legislation, there's just going to be another D'Souza case. We're doing this again? Not us, (laughs) per se. (laughs) No chance. (laughs) We have served our time. Yeah. <laughs> but most certainly there would be another uh, case that would come forward with this gap in legislation. So really it's politically smart for the British government to get ahead of that. Certainly um, for pursuing the case against us didn't do them any favors uh, politically. So I think it would be politically smart to get ahead of the game. I have given written evidence to the Um, inquiry which was requested from me and I will be giving oral evidence as a witness to the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee as well on this subject so for anyone interested in following the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee you can watch me doing that on April 4th 14th in the a.m. April 14th when in the a.m. 930. There we go plugged successfully. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit more about this idea of British identity in the United Ireland. Like how would it work in the future, if someone who was in the what you know the prince uh, formally known as the Northern Six Counties or whatever, what if they moved down you know to what was was the South, but now the whole thing is just Ireland? Yeah. Someone moves down there and has more kids, and they identify as British. Like, yeah. do they get to still be British? Like that you're saying that this needs to be. Uh, it needs to be codified because yeah. I mean that is complicated. I mean, of yeah. course, their birth certificate would say born in County Antrim or born in County Derry. And that's going to show that they are, in fact, a person of Northern Ireland under the remit of the Good Friday Agreement. But would it stay as a person of Northern Ireland? Like, would this have I mean, to adjust term, to just the, a person of Ireland at that yeah, point? Yeah, I mean, because... the term a person of Northern Ireland is defined in the Good Friday Agreement. But that was put into Annex 2 and it was done 
after, well, the definition of a person of Northern Ireland was put into Annex 2 and done afterwards by the Home Office, who wanted to stipulate that a person of Northern Ireland had to be born in Northern Ireland to a parent who was Irish, settled, or British in order to be covered by the agreement of the Good Friday Agreement. But, like, did the Good, did the Good Friday Agreement at any point uh, outline any options for if there was no longer a Northern Ireland because the whole thing became just Ireland? What happens then if someone is a person of either formally Northern Ireland or a person who, you know, whose kids are now being born in the, in what was the South, you know, do do they get the same rights uh, as someone who would have been born in Northern Ireland to someone who was British at the time? Yeah, I mean, you're raising a really good point. And unfortunately, the agreement doesn't actually say what happens in the event of reunification. It basically lays the groundworks for a mechanism to allow people to vote for that change. And if the majority of people vote for the reunification of this island, then it puts into place the fact that both governments have a responsibility to action that in a way that is peaceful and democratic. But it's at that point, I think, where there would need to be a lot of work put in as to what will happen. And this is one of those questions that would have to be addressed because it does sound a little bit complicated around citizenship legislation. And you'd have to wonder... Would there have to be a further amendment to enable maybe all the people on the island right. to have some sort of root, not like a birthright per se, but a root, a viable root if they wanted it to okay. claim that kind of citizenship? So yeah, I guess it could be construed as problematic, I guess. I mean, there are many people born in the South who already at the moment have a root to British citizenship. Anyone whose parents were born before 1949... Well, they're considered a British citizen. Um, And anyone who has a British parent or British grandparent, even though they were born outside of the United Kingdom, they also have a route to British citizenship. So we'd be surprised to see how many people actually, if they wanted it, do have some way of claiming citizenship. So I think that in the event of um, the item being reunified, there would just be more people that would have that route because everyone in the North also has that possibility. I guess. I guess I was just thinking that more than just having family who were British, uh, which enables you to be British, the way it works in the North is, you know, you could have two Irish parents, you could be born and go, I'm British and be British, right? Yeah, that's true. So because like, of the Good Friday Agreement. Exactly. So there could be families of people who were Irish all the way through in the South, uh, who in the future, uh, potential United Ireland, uh, I guess theoretically could go, oh, I, I'm British, even though yeah. my whole family is It does need to be actioned in some sort of meaningful way. Yeah. The people of Northern Ireland, that term, when there is no Northern Ireland anymore. Yeah. Is it, does it just become the people of Ireland? You know, do you but just omit the Northern? But then that would incorporate Northern? everyone in e- Ireland. Exactly, yeah. Jake, this is far too, uh, <laughs> too deep for me to be able to process. I'm sorry. And the legislation required would be super complicated. Yeah, I'm adding too many uh, annoying complexities here for <laughs> but too early it's, for this. it is something that does need to be discussed I think the very important point to make at the moment is that there is a gap in legislation that needs immediately filled to at least enable those at present to retain that right and then there is um, a need at some point in the event of reunification to have a further conversation about expanding the cohort of the people of Northern Ireland or looking at that term. In fact, the cohort of people covered under the term the people of Northern Ireland in itself already needs to be expanded because there are lots of gaps of people who are not covered by this. Take, for example, someone I was speaking to recently who 
was born in Liverpool, just by chance, you know, and his parents brought him home uh, two well, weeks later. The parents were from Northern Ireland. They were from Ireland. Northern Ireland. Um, they were in Liverpool at the time, gave birth in Liverpool, moved back to Northern Ireland when they were two weeks old, lived their entire life here and uh, are not covered by the Good Friday Agreement and not uh, considered a person of Northern Ireland. Yeah. You know, there's lots of gaps there, people who are adopted as well. Then there's all the European citizens um, that live in Northern Ireland who have no right to Irish citizenship through naturalization, unless, of course, they're married to an Irish citizen. There's lots of gaps in legislation when it comes to covering people under the remit of the Good Friday Agreement, but also ensuring that people have a viable route to citizenship, be that Irish or British. So you could do an entire podcast episode on really the legislation required there, but who on earth would want to listen to that? I I don't want to record that, so let's not do that. Um, yeah, so if anyone w- does want to read an incre- incredibly dry piece of, um, of of reading on legislation, you can read my submission to the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee on Citizenship. It had to be massively cut down because it being my favorite subject, the original submission was twice as long. And I really, really should have read. How many thousands of words was it? It was originally 8,000 words. I've read novellas shorter than that. We've discussed, you know, British identity and um, we've discussed flags and culture and governance and the police force. I guess it's time to talk about those who don't want to have this conversation. Yeah. Uh, like, oh, my favorite dinosaur from the uh, the United Ireland discussion that we watched. I mean, the, the other end of the spectrum is the the young voices like Jamie Bryson. We, can we avoid them too? I feel like between Jamie Bryson... <laughs> And the absolute dinosaur that was, what the hell's his name? Gregory Campbell. Yeah, Gregory Campbell. Please, someone just put him somewhere and just let him scream into the abyss <laughs> by himself. I it's cannot so handle it. so bad. He, you, yeah, he, well, he did not respond very well um, to Leo Varadkar. He had that dinosaur arrogance where he just, everything he was saying was so backwards, so ancient, and the entire polar opposite of progressive. And he was so proudly confident about it the way he was just uh gregoriously laughing at and i mean leo was so polite and considerate with the way he was phrasing these things and i mean it was in one ear through a bunch of fucking gray ear hairs and then out the (laughs) other and then he's screaming about how he's british like he couldn't even understand one sentence Look, that that man you know was what? trying it to say. It has to be said that there are plenty of British people who live in Ireland and uh, are, are pretty happy who choose to live there. You know, like yeah. this concept that, oh, you couldn't possibly still be British and be part of Ireland is so aggressive. I mean, there are people all around the world living in different countries. <laughs> uh, Jake being just one example as an yep. American living here in Northern Ireland. Jake, do you feel any less American? Uh, I the moment Trump came into office, I kind of abandoned my Americanness. But it was that's a completely separate issue. No, being here has not made me any more any more or less American. Uh, American politics has made me not want to be American. <laughs> well, surely now with Biden being in, you feel a little. Bit oh yeah, and I mean especially the fact that he's all uh, down with the Irish here. I mean it's he's uh, certainly a step in the right direction, guys. So, yeah, there are those who are against uh, this conversation and they're trying pretty hard to stipend the conversation um, 
And that's not just people like the DUP who are, of course, against the idea of holding a border poll or even having a conversation around it. Um, But there's also those in the South who do not want to have this conversation. There are political representatives in the South who will tell you until they're blue in the face that now is not the time, that we shouldn't have this conversation, that it's divisive. And dialogue and discussion is not divisive. No. And no matter how much you try to tell people they can't have a conversation, that's not going to work. The more you tell someone they can't, uh, the more. Yeah, it's the Streisand effect. You try to shut people up and they'll talk a lot louder. So. And this is the thing is that, you know, I think it has to be said that Brexit has had a massive impact on bringing forward this conversation a lot quicker than it may have actually progressed naturally. And I think part of that is the fact that, for first of all, the people of Northern Ireland didn't vote for Brexit. And then everything that's happened since has had the people of Northern Ireland all but ignored. We've had no voice or input into what's happening now. The Northern Ireland Protocol isn't perfect, but it is damage limitation for a Brexit the people of Northern Ireland didn't even vote for. And I think that lack of a democratic mandate has made people look at, well, what next? Like, what can we have instead? Because this certainly is not working. And that's making these conversations more urgent. So, yeah, we need to get people in positions of power who are open to the dialogue uh, and just quietly usher those who are trying to stifle conversation and censor uh, the concept of discussion by pretending it's somehow divisive. They they need to be escorted out, please. Escorted out. Um, it is interesting, however, seeing some of these attempts at quelling the conversation around constitutional change and the stuff that some people are coming out with. I read a piece by Ewan O'Doherty um, in The Independent where he stated that he'll just never consider these people in the North as Irish as he is. I mean, sweet Lord. Um, Hello, Irish person who literally went to court defend Irish citizens' rights, mm-hmm. you know? But yeah, sure, you're more Irish than me. Uh, that... And I had this other commentator one time who said that uh, I was as Irish as someone born in Liverpool. You know, like, this, this is the com- island of Ireland. The Irish constitution enshrines our right to be yeah. part of the Irish nation. It enshrines our Irishness. People need to call out these gross gatekeeping assholes for what they are. It's it, They're products of a past that we are progressing away from yeah well they are reflective of the now outdated and the minority conservative uh, society that existed in ireland i imagine that many of those expressing these views about those other ones up north and Mm -hmm. you know uh constantly voicing this idea of northerners being x y or z all that stereotyping that we see I believe that they were probably people that were also against equal marriage and, yeah, and, and uh, body autonomy. And, yeah, and I mean, these, these, things, these yeah. things are all connected. They're probably but, all anti-maskers as well. That's right. I hate to be stereotyping them. I'm but now doing what I was criticizing They make them it for. really easy. It's, um, it's quite something to hear some of these arguments being mainstreamed through uh, newspapers as well. This idea that, you know, oh, we can't possibly reunite the island because those ones up north aren't really as Irish as we are hmm. is really um, distasteful argument put forward. It's disingenuous the, and it's uh, just 
wrong. It's false. Yeah. I mean, the Irish constitution enshrines the aspiration to reunify the people of this island. So really those advocating to keep the border in place, despite the democratic wishes of the people of this island, they're really advocating against their own constitution. Well, so that's not cherry- very patriotic. Now, no, they cherry pick what, you know, you, if you think these people read the entire constitution, uh, although they, I'm sure they'd let you believe that they did, uh, if they actually did read the entire constitution, they would have a really hard time cherry picking with a straight face the bits they like and then the bits that they don't like they you know what just ignore it's completely dishonest and they're not as they call themselves patriots you see this in america too yeah and then on the northern side we have of course look there are of course unionists who do not want to have a conversation over the possibility of united ireland and the key is in the title unionism their key core principle is to be a part of the united kingdom that is perfectly okay. Right. That is part of their political ideology. That has to be respected in itself. Expecting like that all unionists are going to just jump on board and suddenly change their belief system that, in order to, you know, see a United Ireland fulfilled, that's just not it's possible. not it's not a completely absurd expectation and I feel like it's a good way to try to just find some sort of fault in the process uh to say well I mean they they're not going to agree with it so I guess we just throw the whole thing out that's not how these things work the yeah. whole point is that different people have different opinions and you come to Well people exercise what they want at the polls and actually right. this is statement. how referendums work they are by their very nature divisive there's going to be a yes camp there's going to be a no camp it's perfectly okay in fact it's really actually a fundamental part of a democratic society having these discussions these debates having a yes camp a no camp before and against it helps people make the most informed decision as to what they want to do it's nothing to be afraid of it is perfectly acceptable it is democratic Mm -hmm. and this expectation that we can't have a conversation until the entirety of unionism is on board with us having the conversation is is really (laughs) what i can't even think of the word it's just a confusing (laughs) argument i've never heard that it also negates all the unionists who are already engaging because there are plenty of them. There are moderate unionists or progressive unionists who are already engaging in this conversation. And it has to be said that they're doing so because this has moved past the romantic notion of reunifying the island of Ireland. It has moved into a conversation about what might that look like? It's moved into a conversation over where people in the north are looking at this and going, well, if we if we were to reunify or join Ireland, then therefore we'll be part of the European Union again. It's looking at the economic opportunities that might happen if we were to reunify the island. It's looking at benefits. Yeah. And it's going to be more of an economical decision than it is going to be some sort of emotional decision. Right. So, of course, there are unionists already at the table so this argument that they're not is ignoring the very valuable input of so many people. Yeah, tons of people that aren't political in any way, uh, I'm sure, are would look at this as a fantastic way to, at least for themselves, rewrite the history of Brexit and say, uh-uh, I'm out. Mm-hmm. You guys can fuck this up all you want, but I want to get back in with the uh, European yeah. Union. I mean, of course, there the majority of unionism voted for Brexit, but there were tons that didn't. Yeah. And you would think from the way that political unionism gets on these days that, you know, the entire bloc without any divergence at all had all voted for Brexit. We'll not even get into political unionism at the moment because they are just in a tailspin um, (laughs) that is, you know, really hard to comprehend what um, what some 
factions of political unionism are considering at the moment. But certainly, yes. And I think um, it also needs to be said that, look, the DUP campaigned against the Good Friday Agreement. They opposed the Good Friday Agreement. Mm -hmm. If their opposition had been allowed to stop the process, then there would never have been a Good Friday Agreement. No. If their opposition, when they were standing outside the government buildings with their placards in hand, Mm. screaming against the Good Friday Agreement, was allowed to stop this conversation and to stop people from going to the polls... Then where would we be? We'd right all be now? dinosaurs, just like my favorite dinosaur. I we wouldn't be having this conversation, of course. Uh, and but we wouldn't have the peace process. But certainly, the gains of the past two decades would not have happened. So I think that the, the people need to bear that in mind when they're trying to make this argument that oh well, you know, because the DUP is against it, or Jamie Bryson is against it. Who might I add said on um, the program on Monday night that he would rather choke on his own blood than live in a united Ireland. I mean, does no one see what that statement is actually saying? Mm-hmm. I'm, it's, it's not hard to to recognize someone basically talking about violence on the air. And I guess that didn't upset Brian enough to, to make a statement about that. But of course, she had to get all up on her high horse about Joe Brawley making his I, statement. I know you're very upset about Joe Brawley. I'm still upset about Joe Brawley. But yes, certainly, I think that um, there has to be a question raised over giving those who are advocating for the destruction of the Good Friday Agreement, those who are advocating for violence, and those who do not believe in equality or or peace process, whether those people should be getting a platform. I think that needs to be asked, that question in terms of the media giving platforms to people who are advocating for the scrapping of the entirety of the Good Friday Agreement instead of giving voices to the many progressive people in this society who are advocating for full adherence to the Good Friday Agreement from all sections of our societies. So I think that um, that was disappointing to see. I could think of a million other people from a unionist perspective that would have been better. Maybe a million is a bit of I was going to say, I thought, that, what about that phantom million unionist, though? How did you even have a million unionists to draw from there? Uh, that's true. There is not a million unionists um, in Northern Ireland as much as some... Um, commentators uh, or politicians <laughs> even, might like to say. Even on both sides, apparently, everybody uh, seems to Everyone's believe. getting in on this concept that there's a million unionists but in Northern Ireland. somehow they don't. It's not real. Yeah. It doesn't exist. The demographic Demographics don't support it, guys. At the last election, there were 340,000 people that voted for unionist parties. In terms of identity here, uh, the National um, Life and Time survey shows about 33% identifying as British only or identifying as unionist. You know, so this idea that, I mean, that would be over half the population. Yeah. The population is 1.9 million. And, you know, so what, over half of them are suddenly unionists, but well, they don't vote unionist. No. And they don't express their unionist views. But somehow you got respond the... As unionist. It is frustrating, that figure. Um, it has been irking me quite a bit to see that um, placed into mainstream media that that figure exists it just doesn't exist and no. i cannot wait for the census results next year which will give a little bit more clarity as the demographics of northern ireland and i also equally can't wait for the next local elections which take place 
um, in May 2022, which will be very exciting. I always go to these elections with such hope and optimism that there's going to be a massive wave of new people. They're all going to come out and vote. It's going to be beautiful. Um, Sweet and they're, summer child. And they're, they're all going to vote, um, you know, the archaic conservative um, politicians that never even signed up to the Good Friday Agreement in the first place. They're going to vote them out. They're going to vote in new people. They're going to vote in women. Mm. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. And I really hope that I don't lose that optimism one day. I felt pretty devastated um, back at the general election for the UK when Labour lost so, so badly. (laughs) But yet I remain optimistic about the elections next year. Um, And if nothing else, I will be campaigning really heavily to try and get as many people as possible onto the electoral register, get them out to vote. You know, it's really important to think about your right to vote and how many people actually had to fight for the right to vote. Mm-hmm. And, you know, many of us, including myself when I was younger, are guilty of just thinking, oh, well, who can be bothered? Or not feeling engaged or excited about politics and not appreciating the fact that you do have a say, you do have a vote, and that that vote matters. Yep. You know? Like, we're not governed by what the majority wants. We're governed by the majority of who turns up. I mean, I think it's worth considering um, the idea of compulsory voting. Some countries do it and they do it really well. You know, like Australia, for example, Belgium, where, you know, it is compulsory to vote. I'm not against the idea. I think that the context and data around compulsory voting does show that it does give a better democratic. Yeah, I I mean, it's a a better process. But what happens when you don't like I, if I Put was late, <laughs> yeah, I want to know seriously because, like, I know I don't uh, know what happened. I haven't looked in too much de- detail as to what happens if you don't vote. Is it just like a fine? Because if that, I mean, that's enough incentive to get people to do things. But I feel like if you start threatening people with actual, like, serious consequences, no, I just I, I know just, you do. I'm saying, but I I don't know how it works in Australia. Are there serious? Pro- no, no, consequences? no, it's probably a fine. Although I would have to double check, but I would imagine it's a fine. It might not even be that serious. You know, it's but if of, it's enough of a, even if it's a, a minimal fine. That is enough to encourage the lazy people to just do it just to avoid having the Well, I think the, um, what it does do is the idea of it being compulsory and it's mandatory to vote is it encourages more people to engage in the political system yeah. more than they would if right. they didn't think they had to actually you vote. You kind of subconsciously start engaging and caring more about it. Yeah. I'm, we're coming to an end of discussing what's really just the first segment in us trying to discuss a little bit around the possibility of the reunification of this island. I suppose we should add to it our ideas of a time frame. So I think that I fall into the category of um, a time frame that people might not like in that I'm perfectly comfortable with the idea of a border poll not happening for like five to seven years. I hate that. I hate you. I, I know you're probably <laughs> right, and it's probably going to take that time, but I guess I'm going to be the other politician with the microphone over here in, in our debate that goes, oh, it needs to happen soon. It has to happen tomorrow. I mean, well, I don't Jake, want it you to. understand that if it happened tomorrow, it would not <laughs> work. I know. You're right. I know you're, as usual, damn it, you're right. But seven years is such a long time. It is a long time. It is a long time. <clears throat> I don't but do you be, know what? I don't want to be, I don't want to have my own gray ear hairs by the time this you happens. You already have gray hairs. Not in my ears. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Give me a United Ireland before the gray ear hairs. Um, the thing is, is that this is pretty complicated. You know, this is not going to be easy. 
it's going to take time. And as much as you don't like it, people will not vote for what they don't know. Yeah. And they shouldn't vote for what they don't know. because Look it, what happened with Brexit. Oh, Jesus. No, you know, know, we do not need our own version of Brexit. No. And that's what's, uh, uh, that is what is at risk here. But, like, here. what about if Scotland does its, uh, like... Well, the next election, it's widely considered the ASMP will wipe the board. And if that happens, then I think they're looking at holding the next referendum on independence in a year or two. Okay, so... I would certainly imagine within the next two years, Scotland will have held a vote. And right. I do think it will go independent. And when that happens, because I also believe it'll go independent, if that happens in the next couple years... Don't you think that alone will get people excited and amped enough to be to to want to jump too? You know, seeing it the will. other guys jump first. Yes. You don't need to wait seven years. Yes. Maybe by the time the seven years passes, point, it'll be old like, news. You won't no, even have so that influence That would actually be anymore. only five years. So, say for example, it took two years for Scotland to go independent. If we went by my time frame, then it's only another five years. Um, the thing is, is it's more complicated here. Okay, we are talking about dealing with the historical context of partition. And a very traumatic history that does need to be properly discussed in order for reconciliation to truly happen. And in my view, true reconciliation on this island won't happen until the island is reunified. But it needs to be detailed and it needs to be worked out across the board, especially healthcare, but also education. I mean, we look at the education system in Northern Ireland, despite the fact that the Good Friday Agreement states that integrated education is integral to building understanding and reconciliation, our education system is still 94% segregated. I mean, that in itself, and, and I wrote recently about how history is taught on this island, only to discover that there's three different versions of our shared history taught, a different version in the South, a different up here in the Protestant schools, and a different in the Catholic schools. And we wonder why there's a, a gap in understanding each other. Mm, and I mean, the education system in, you know, uh, England and seeing the things that people write on Reddit, like so many people have no idea about the history of Northern Ireland and the not history, the current state of Northern Ireland. I mean, all the people talking about flags right now, I if they just took a holiday and came over here and saw the state of flag uh, politics in Northern Ireland, I think they might have a different opinion of what British people feel about flags. I know. There is definitely a gap in understanding. A complete, complete lack of understanding. Yeah. Um, so I think for that reason, that's why it needs time. It needs time to work out uh, the healthcare system. And look, you know, I think there's a great opportunity to be had in creating a better healthcare system, north and south, because let's be real, both are not good. Yes, we have um, free at the point of service in the north with the NHS, but we also have thousands upon thousands of people who die every single year on waiting lists because the NHS in Northern Ireland is completely buckling and has the worst waiting times of anywhere else in the United Kingdom. It is not a success story. But at the same time, people are not going to throw away the idea of having you know free at the point of service uh, to pay 50 or 80 quid to go see their GP. So there does need to be the creation of a new health service for the entire island. And I think if it was taking the best parts of the north and the south and creating something better, then hell, everyone would be on board. And can I also add that, can we just have the TV license in the north and the TV license that I can't believe also exists in the south to just cancel each other out so we can stop having to pay a fucking TV license to have a TV? Yeah, I'm okay with that.
Um, housing of course is another area that really needs worked out the housing crisis in the south is grim I cannot imagine how anyone possibly tries to live in Dublin um, because the house prices prices are absolutely insane yeah I was thinking that too like that's a huge problem yeah the housing crisis does need to be addressed but this is the thing is that it is an opportunity for citizens to have input into well what do we think would work better And that's why I think it's exciting. I would like to see more structures put in place for dialogue. Um, You know, we have the civic forum that was part of the Good Friday Agreement that was also allowed to just wither and die and was never properly, um, properly invested in or relied upon or used in any meaningful way. And I think if there was ever a time to bring back the civic forum in the north, it would be now. Definitely. Then there's also the prospect of an all-island citizens' assembly. Like, why not have that? Like, discussion is good. Like, the citizens' assembly, um, the system for it in the South works very well in that it works as a bridge, really, between citizens and the government to inform the government, really, of what society actually wants and not what the government thinks they want. Is it like a town hall? I don't know. I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, it's kind of like that. It's usually a grouping of like 100 citizens, and they will discuss and debate and hear evidence around a particular issue. I saw that Minister Coveney spoke recently of not wanting to have a citizens' assembly that had a predetermined outcome. Well, of course, none of them have a predetermined outcome. They are given a particular subject or issue or topic, and then they discuss it, they debate it, and at the end of it, they make recommendations. So no one's saying that a citizens' assembly has to be set up with the predetermined outcome of United Ireland Citizens' Assembly. Hmm. But why not set up a citizens' assembly on a shared island and see what the recommendations the people bring forward are? I mean, you couldn't ask for a more democratic approach. And then, of course, I'd love to see more of these debates, like... It was the best crack, really. Oh, it was. But can we (laughs) seriously, can we like have some better vetting of who the hell we're bringing on? Um, I would love to see that. Like I could go for a weekly slot of that. If that could be a Monday night special every week, you would have me tuning in. Absolutely. That would be great. But yeah, so there needs to be more area for discussion, for debate, for dialogue and more meaningful engagement north and south. Before closing, it's important to put in one last reference, and that has to be on the 50 plus one um, conversations that have been appearing. It is, of course, a democratic norm that 50 plus one or majoritarian principle is standard. And it has been used uh, throughout history as defining a majority. In the Good Friday Agreement, the right to self-determination is based around what the majority of people in Northern Ireland want. But those who aren't too keen on the prospect of the constitutional question coming to the poll anytime soon have been implying that perhaps we shouldn't be going by the the, uh, The 50 plus plus one, which we've seen send us into Brexit, which for better or worse, I guess, is... I mean, it is majority. I mean, even in Ireland, you know, take the uh, dissolution of marriage referendum where 50.27% voted yes. That then changed the constitution of Ireland because a majority voted for it. Yeah. So this idea that what is a democratic standard should be changed and changed without the consent of the people, even though they voted for this particular mechanism when voting for the Good Friday Agreement in 1998 
feels very undemocratic. It is. It's the the precedent has been set, and like I agree, it's it's pretty shit that like it should ever come that close. You would want it to be more than that. But of course, you always aspire, always aspire to have a landslide. Of course, you want to have a high majority. Like the Good Friday Agreement was seventy one percent in the right. north. That's great, but you can't. You can't, you can't change the rules it. after the game started, mate. Like, that's really undemocratic. Yeah. It's, it's bad. You know, and as someone who believes wholly in the text of the Good Friday Agreement and believes in the democratic mandate of the Good Friday Agreement, I mean, let's bear in mind that a copy of this agreement was sent to every single household on the island of Ireland so people knew what they were voting for and people voted for this mechanism, the mechanism of self-determination on the basis of of what the majority of people want. You cannot shift the goalposts to Mm -hmm. suit your political agenda. It feels very undemocratic. And I find it deeply concerning that some within pretty powerful positions Mm. are implying some kind of divergence from the text of the Good Friday Agreement. Yep. I think that um, it's... They're blind to what's happening at the moment here. I was writing um, recently about the Good Friday Agreement when it was signed and the atmosphere that was there at the time where there was many of the people who negotiated the agreement or people who voted for the agreement have spoken of a real sense of excitement, of urgency, of energy, of change uh, in the air in 1998 because something was happening. People could feel it was happening. It was a magical moment in history. And it feels a little bit like we're experiencing that kind of shift again. We are moving into a space where over the next decade, this island is going to be massively transformed. And there are those who are not ready and Mm -hmm. have their heads squarely in the sand and they're going to miss it. They are. And that's going to be really sad. That's us wrapping up this first installment. I'm sure we will have plenty of other episodes discussing constitutional change on this island because, as I say, it does feel like we're moving into a space where this is becoming very much uh, mainstreamed and therefore we will no doubt uh, bring up this subject again and discuss it in greater detail as more exciting uh, prospects come forward. Thank you so much for listening to the Hollywood to Hollywood podcast with your hosts, Emma and Jake D'Souza. We do have a Patreon page. Feel free to look at it. Take care. Bye-bye.